on Fintech Insider interviews today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Derek Corcoran. Did I pronounce that right? Perfectly, beautifully. Nailed it. Did you hear that, Laura? I nailed it. Derek Corcoran is the Chief Experience Officer at Avoca, helping firms through digital transformation. All right, I, I, Chief Experience. Yeah, you got the Avoca bit wrong. Oh, I see, you knew I'd pronounce yeah. something wrong. Avoca, right. Yeah, it's enough. Corcoran and Avoca, there we go. Beautiful. But we now know the company name is Avoca. So, Let's, all right, I'm, I'm actually going to come back to that job title because we've got to define what Avoca is. Like, what is Avoca and why is Avoca? We're a software company. Right. And we've actually been around for about 15 years, um, about 200 people across three different continents. Uh, we founded the business down in Sydney, Australia. Uh, we opened offices in uh, the US and also in the UK, uh, serviced the, the European market. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of what the company is. Now, you know, what do we do? Um, we provide banks with a platform that allows them to build acquisition um, experiences. So whether it's uh, personal banking, you know, opening a current account, checking account, mm -hmm. deposit account, whatever you want to call it in each of those geographies, or a credit card, or getting a loan application, uh, all the way through to commercial banking, you know, onboarding of a commercial customer. So you can kind of think of us as almost like, well, like an e-commerce engine, but for banking, for those kind of more complicated transactions. And we should set the scene a little bit here, is like the, the percentage of current accounts or um, checking accounts if you're in the US that are still opened uh, via a branch is a really high percentage. It's like, what, 70, 80%, something crazy like that? It is, um, but it's declining. Yeah, and, and well, it has to decline yeah, because of, of the cost of branches, branches closing all the time. Like that's just not a, a reasonable route to be acquiring people digitally. But that's actually the angle that the banks took back in the 90s when they started closing branches was branches were too expensive. So, you know, let's get rid of them. But the alternative wasn't there. Like. Mm -hmm. You know, smartphones hadn't even been invented at that point. Um, uh, cellular connections or mobile um, signals and Wi-Fi networking and so on just wasn't as good as it is now. So initially it was a cost-driven thing. Now it's a consumer-driven thing. Like There's an expectation People change. don't want to go into a <laughs> Well, not everybody, but a lot of people do. It's just inconvenient. Um, um, talk to me about inconvenience. I mean, you just got off a flight, right? So if, if anything right now, you had to sign up for something and you had to go out and find the nearest branch to do it, it's just not going to happen when you're traveling and you've got all kinds of stuff going on. So Exactly. Even so, something as simple as getting the, the Heathrow Express ticket. You know, I can just do it via a mobile app now. Uh, as I'm walking to the to the terminal to, to get on the train, I don't actually have to go to an office to stand in a queue and, and make a transaction, self-service. There's actually a whole bunch, like, I'm gonna make a confession here, guys. There's a whole bunch of stuff I don't do just because it's hard. Like I probably should be managing my credit cards around 0% better, but it's just like, it's such a pain. Yes. And actually people are missing out on acquiring customers through that. And exactly. so how do you solve that problem? When the bank says, okay, our experience for opening a credit card or getting a loan or getting a current account kind of sucks. We need to improve it. It's not mobile friendly and so on. So let, let's, go and, let's go and improve it. Um, they initially think, okay, so we need to build a form. We need to build a web form that's going to be easy. It's going to be pretty. It's going to be you know, mobile responsive and so on. But that's kind of like the tip of the iceberg. As you kind of peel back the layers, it's like, okay, so I need to do identity verification for KYC. If it's a credit product, I need to do credit verification. Um, if the customer wants to transfer funds uh, into this new account, this new current account, to actually activate the account, I need to have kind of like a payment mechanism. Mm. Then if they want to save it, I need to have somewhere where they can save it and then come back to it. And if you start with the core banking system and you say, okay, I know all the information. Here are the 30 fields that I need for a core bank, for an application for a current account, and I build the experience on top of that. The core banking experience is expecting 30 fields. It doesn't 
it can handle 10. So if I complete the first 10 and say, I don't have time for this, I'm gonna save it and come back to it, that's a problem for the core banking system. So we sit as a layer. So we'll handle the transaction until it's ready to deliver to the core. Now, a lot of time it's one and done, as the Americans would like to say, you know, you just fill it in, hit submit, you're done. Um, But for a lot of situations, it's like, you know, a joint account, I'll start it, I'll save it, I'll flick it to my wife, get her to do her bit, then it comes back to me and so on. Or I don't know where my driver's license is, let me come back to this in 10 minutes when I've gone searching through my drawer to find the damn driver's license, which hasn't happened to me recently, honestly. We, we kind of facilitate that, that transaction. We're that layer that sits in front of the core banking system or the loan management system um, to make that experience as easy as possible for you. But it's, you not just the user, it's not just the UI. It's not just the lipstick on the pig. It's actually like the bit behind that. There's, there's, there's a lot of you can save and store and come back to. Yes. There's the, you can, so, so talk me through those key bits. Um, so look, in a, in a simple transaction for us, we would typically have about five or six different kind of integration points. So for a lot of our clients, we're doing things like photo ID capture. So if you do have your driver's license, take a photograph and we'll rip the information off of it to pre-fill the app so you don't have to type that stuff in. Not only is that convenient for you, it also helps with fraud prevention. The fact that you've taken a photograph of a driver's license makes it a lot less likely that you're a fraudster trying to open a bank account because they're not going to go to that effort. So that gives the bank a greater level of confidence. Then we'll do address validation. Um, So it's kind of like a second point of verification. Sorry, there's one even before that is device-based fraud. So if you're opening it on your laptop or your phone, have those devices been seen previously in fraudulent transactions? You know, companies like ThreatMetrics, Iovation, we've already integrated with to, to get that work done. Then once we've got your details, there's the identity verification, maybe there's a credit decision, there's maybe funding of the account if it's that kind of account. So, you know, there's typically about five or six things. And then if it's a more complicated transaction like commercial onboarding, we might have half a dozen people who need to sign, like the directors of the business, so the beneficial owners of the business. And then we might have e-signatures, so we work with DocuSign, eSign Live, Adobe Sign. So whoever so you want to you're just going to whoever's best in class, right? You're just using the... the, the if somebody was to do this without you, they'd have to pitch, put all of those things together themselves. Then they'd have to have done it probably a whole bunch of times to know the things that they don't know that are going to go wrong yeah. and have the experience of that. This is um, something that uh, Mariana Belinke at Santander uh, Innoventures talks about a lot. It's like, what is a bank going to be in the future? Are they going to pick the things they're really good at and specialize in it? Or are they going to try and be good at everything across the value chain? And actually, for somebody, you guys have, correct me if I'm wrong here, have said, Onboarding is a thing that if if you just nail it and do it really well, you can do it, you can make it much better than trying to reinvent the wheel for every product every time. Is is that? Yes, but where like our banks are typically the medium to large size banks, so three of the top ten global banks are, are using our product, and what they like is that we give them the flexibility to be able to build the experience that they want to build, but they don't have to build it from scratch. Right. So. As I mentioned, we, on the e-signatures world, we have DocuSign, Adobe Sign, and eSign Live. So we have a marketplace where we've actually built connectors to each of these. So when we go into a large bank, if they have an existing relationship with DocuSign, and we say, sorry, you can't use DocuSign, but Evoca, you have to use eSign Live, yeah. we're dead in the water. You know what it's like to bring a new vendor. You, you worked at um, Barclays, wasn't yeah, it? That's right. So you know what it's like to bring a new vendor into a bank like Barclays. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy process. So if we tell them they have to throw out the vendors they've already brought in in order to use others is not going to work. So we give them this marketplace, these pre-built integrations, so they can choose. You know, we have opinions. We'll tell them who we think they should work with if they haven't already got a You vendor. have experience. You've done yes. this a few times before. So, exactly. so talk to me some numbers. How many clients you got um, and, and sort of 
And what's the business case for them as well? Like, what's the? Can you give me any any numbers, any any metrics on on that side as well? We love metrics. Um, from our CEO down, um, Phil always says we're going to be successful by making our clients successful. In order to understand if we've made a client successful, we ask them, what are you trying to oh, achieve? How about that? And did we actually help you achieve what you set out to achieve? And if we didn't, then we'll kind of iterate and iterate and iterate to try and make the experience better and you know, understand the conversion. So last year, we actually released a, a new module for the product, which was an analytics engine. So we work with Adobe and Google and IBM Core Metrics and all those existing web analytics, but we also built one that will tell the bank exactly where in the application flow they're losing the customer. Mm -hmm. How long is the customer spending on a field? Are they abandoning from that field? So we're giving them really detailed insights so they can go, ah, oh, hang on a second, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, um, we have about, there's about 80 clients on the platform. We actually have clients outside of banking. Um, Jaguar Land Rover uses us, um, some government agencies use us, um, but in the financial services sector we've got about 50 clients um, and the, the kind of metrics that we're saying is the primary reason they bring us in is time to market. They, they want to get a better experience into the market faster and that's like the primary value prop. But once it's up and running then the ability to tweak and make changes. Uh, like, I don't know if you ever know, do you use Amazon? Yeah. Oh yeah, silly question for somebody in the fintech industry. It was Black Friday, man. Come on, I mean, what Cyber else Monday are you today. Do shopping. <laughs> um, so, if you if you pay really close attention when you go to Amazon, the Add to Cart button changes ever so slightly, almost constantly. They're tweaking the font the color, the shadow behind it. So they're continuously tweaking. And that's one of the things that we give the banks the ability to do is not have to go through three to six month cycles to make small changes to their application flow. Like you said, the driver's license, one of our recommendations, driver's license details, put that at the end of the application form. Mm -hmm. Because if I ask you for that early, too early, you put in your name, your address, your email, I ask you for your driver's license. If you don't have it on you, you're not invested, you'll abandon. Mm -hmm. You'll just go, I'll do this later. If I get your name, your address, your email, your phone number, your work phone oh, well, number. Your... now. <laughs> so that's one of the things that we've learned from doing the kind of work that we do is we did this with a client and we went, oh, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. So we, we use that as part of that kind of um, continuous agility. So um, one of our clients took them 18 months to build a new credit card application experience in-house. Uh, took them four months to do the equivalent with their um, deposit account with us. It was going to take them another 18 months to do deposits and they said, we can't do that. Coming back to this job title, I mentioned it right at the outset, this chief experience officer. Yeah. That, like, I've not heard that title before. And I, I like that it's CEO, by the way. Nice yeah. work, nicely <laughs> done. Uh, but like, Without the responsibility. Yeah, yeah, no, that, well done. You get the business card without the responsibility. Kudos to you. What does that actually mean? Because to me, you were hinting there at some of the things where it's really tweaking the experience using data to learn and do it. But there's, there's always the science and the art. Like, where do you, where do you manage build, building and tweaking an experience both for your customers and their customers? Like, what does that title mean to you? I kind of split my job into three areas. Um, the first is kind of thought leadership around this space. So doing things like this and, um, you know, making sure I've got my finger on the pulse. Uh, looking at experiences that banks are putting into the market to understand who's doing things well and so on. So it's just kind of understanding that. And that feeds into our marketing. Um, uh, to make sure that people understand that we have a, a point of view, we have a voice around this stuff. Uh, the second component is product development. So I work with our chief product officer to say, hey, 
we need to be able to do X. I've seen it in the market. It's really cool. It's there, Customers yeah. are asking for it. So that, that feeds back into, so I work with the product development team to make sure we've got the right solution in the market for our clients. And then the third component is kind of strategic clients. So, you know, as I mentioned, um, three of the top 10 global banks. So I'm pretty close to the relationships with each of those. That's a pretty clear explanation. Well done, sir. Thank you. It's, it's like you know what you're doing. But it is just a title I made up for myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, this is a goal for life. Everybody should make up a job title once in their lives. I think it's, it's, it's essential because you can design the role where you're doing the best work you possibly can for, for the organization. So like, how receptive is an organization that they need the sort of help you offer? Like, what does, what does that conversation typically look like? Because my experience is, as you say, onboarding a new vendor can be hard. Do you find there's a bit of resistance? And what are your kind of messages to getting past some of that resistance? Or have I misread the situation? <laughs> no. Um, they understand that this is important, that it is something that they want to uh, improve. But... They're really resource challenged. All the banks at the moment, there is so much, they're experiencing more change in their industry, you know, over the course of the, the last five years and over the course of the next kind of five years than they've ever seen before. Yeah. Um, the pace of change has just accelerated. Like, you know, if you look at things like um, ATMs, ATMs were rolled out at the banks on the bank schedule. Mm -hmm. The bank said, okay, that's a, a hotspot right there. A lot of people are coming into branches and they're taking out cash. So if we put an ATM in that location, we can remove some of that foot traffic. So the bank was the one choosing. The difference with digital is consumers are one driving expectations. They're the ones buying devices. These are desirable devices. They wanna have the latest and greatest, the, the biometrics. They expect the bank to update their mobile banking experience so that face recognition on the iPhone X works. Completely. So. When you've got payments is changing, um, mobile banking experiences is changing, uh, voice, artificial intelligence, they're dealing with all of this. And then you've got the product teams inside the bank saying, well, hang on a second, my application experience for a home loan is terrible. Mm -hmm. My application experience for a current account is terrible. You need to fix that. That almost becomes like a nice to have. So they're resource constrained. And so when we go in and say, look, we can help you, you get to use our platform. We're not going to do the work for you. We'll help, but you're going to use our platform to get to market faster with that thing you're looking for. They're, they're happy <laughs> to have that conversation. FinTech innovation is changing the way we bank and the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right FinTech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the innovation acceleration platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.terminos.com. So I think there's there's a couple of interesting things there that, that you can deal with the resource constraint by working with a specialist that I think is kind of interesting. And a platform and a platform that's being used by others. Yes. Like one of the first questions a bank will always ask is, where have you done it before? Yes. And you can say, ah, I, I've done it before here. Yeah. Do you not think though, that there's something about uh, diminishing returns of the core systems these organizations have got? So the, a part of the resource challenge could be that they're being asked to do more with a core system that's no longer fit for purpose. And yeah. there's only so far they can really go. Like 
how many evokers do the evokers, sorry, do there need to be in order for them to? I mean, is that their future? There's going to be lots of little suppliers protecting this aging and aging core, or can this not go? Or does this actually become infrastructure that over time allows them to think about what their future is? I, I think. One of the biggest changes that to a, to a large extent is kind of downplayed in the industry is the advent of the API. Mm. That's, the, that's the glue that's making all of this stuff possible. Um, without an API, we, we kind of have trouble. Um, you know, be, being able to deliver that kind of straight through processing. We've got some clients who like in the commercial banking environments, their volumes don't justify them building an API to their legacy core, which might be 30 or 40 years old. Yeah. So we literally generate a piece of paper and somebody types it in in the background. And that's okay for commercial banking. That's not okay for current accounts, deposit accounts, savings accounts, Where credit the cards. Higher. And I need, a need I, I expect um, instant decisioning around those things. I, I love that admission of experience with concierging, right? This is the, the startup term of, hey, you've got a great user interface that you can come back to and it feels from a customer experience standpoint far better because you know, in commercial banking, especially with the larger corporates, for a large transaction, you could have to re-KYC a customer and, and present a driving license yes. again and again and again every and time. And that's just the regulations. Yeah, and, and those are the rules. A transaction over a million pounds then give me all of the director's driver's license and KYC information. Again, yeah. Corporates hate this, but this yeah. is something the banks enforce upon them, and it's very manual and very costly for a large company to deal with. So to have somebody in the background that's just helping that out as a service, that's, that can, I can see the real benefit to that. But then this, this kind of next stage of how does, that, how does that become something that isn't just that old system anymore that isn't just yeah. that that kind of and, and you say apis are key we tend to talk about that as a technology as if it's a silver bullet how does that actually enable uh something are you saying that the platform can do stuff that the core system can't D is it moving some of that capability out of the core system maybe it's it's kind of a compliment so we um we very much subscribe to the concept of systems of engagement as opposed to systems of record mm -hmm. uh, which jeffrey moore coined the term oh, yeah. some years ago. And um, I think Gartner called it two-speed mm -hmm. um, IT or something like that. And um, uh, Forrester went with the systems of engagement, system of record term. So we very much subscribe to that, that your system of record is your system of record. We're not that. We are not the system of We are not the long-term storage. We are the system of engagement. We're the bit that touches the customer. And I got to meet with um, Brian Hartzer, who's the CEO of Westpac. Uh, in Australia, and he his analogy was he said it's um, he quoted Michael Jordan. He said it's not about the shoes, it's about what you do in them. It's about where the customer actually touches the bank. To a large extent, they could care less whether you're running a 30 or a 40 year old core because they never touch it. Sure, they touch the customer experience, but where it runs into problem is things like settlement of payments where. This is what I was going to say. There, there are so many things. Real that, time. There are so many things that product teams want to do, and they can't because the core system yes. isn't actually the shoes. It's the basketball player. To extend your analogy, yeah. the core system is is kind of so critical to doing anything. Yes, I might be able to delay when you're onboarding, but you can't actually do anything with that account until you're in the core system. So I, I do wonder if, if if that has a future, especially in a world of um, price comparison websites becoming more and more the norm. If, if it's in the energy sector now, I can change energy supplier and it's all concierge out of my way and it just, it just happens. But that concierge layer is not the core. 
Mm -hmm. That's still a layer that's built on top of the core. And, you know, let's go back to the Amazon analogy. Um, when Amazon wants to tweak things about the user experience, they're not making changes in their ERP or their supply chain management systems. That stuff stays exactly as it is. And that's like a world-class supply chain management system to drive a beast the size of an Amazon. But they've separated out the customer experience so that they can be more agile and make tweaks and tweaks mm -hmm. and tweaks. And that's where we sit. We're that layer. And regardless of, you know, we've worked with banks in Australia that, um, have done core banking replacements. So they're on modern cores, but they're still using us to give them the, the agility that mm -hmm. they want at the customer experience to be able to deliver the experience, but then be able to tweak it as quickly as they need to. Mm -hmm. And then plug in other suppliers for things like KYC, yeah. um, AML, funding and fraud prevention and so on. So it's this idea of being more modular in the approach. Yes. And, and like you say, Avoca isn't the only piece of that modular world. There may be other things that you can do, but actually if you could build the interfaces and get used to that model, you can get used to how that might work. So exactly. um, what's best practice that you've seen? How does, how does this make sense for somebody? How do you do this well? You don't try and build everything yourself. <laughs> um, because as I said, the, with that kind of resource contention or resource constraint that the banks are experiencing at the moment, it's just too hard. It's going to take too long. You're going to lose a whole bunch of customers. Um, so, you know, partnering with, uh, with organizations, whether it's from a consulting perspective who've done it before and can, you know, share the lessons, the war wounds with you, or um, technology providers that can provide those bigger Lego building blocks, you know, a lot of the banks still operate like the kind of Lego that I used to play with as a kid, which was just like rectangles and squares. <laughs> and um, if you wanted to build a spaceship, it took three hours. But now Lego is like the front and the back of a spaceship and two wings, and I've got a spaceship in 15 minutes. So we're, we're seeing that kind of advent um, where more of those kind of big Lego building blocks are available to the banks to try and help accelerate because they need to move. Customers aren't waiting. The, you know, back to your price comparison, the, it's just too easy to shop around. Mm -hmm. And with things like account switching here in, in the UK, it's actually easy not just to shop around, but it's easy to switch and to switch your deposits and things like that across um, and your payments, which is one of those things that stops you. Mm -hmm. um, oh, like, I hate my bank, but I'm not going to move because well, I haven't if that got payment goes wrong, four hours yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to, to kind of invest in this. We're all too busy. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where we're seeing that um, that best practice is um, you know, people who are partnering with the the right solution providers. It's, it's finding the specialists. I think we used to have armies, and one of the things we tell clients at Eleven FS is there's this move from hiring an army to do a project, and that your internal army can solve everything. To sometimes you need that small digital team that's done it before somewhere else, and a company of a couple hundred people that specialise in just that thing yeah. is is the type of supplier of the future yeah. uh, that that could be as part of a vendor mix. There's definitely a need for those larger, broader shoulders for those larger, broader project still, but the underuse of a smaller, more agile suppliers is probably still quite prevalent in the industry. One other thing I'd throw in on the best practice is bring the stakeholders together from the bank from the beginning. Mm. So legal and compliance are very often like an afterthought. It's like, let's figure out what we want to do and then run it by them. And they react badly to that and then they become a blocker whereas where we've seen the bank bring them into the very first design workshop to say we're going to improve this experience they feel like they're involved and they contribute to how we're going to make this work mm -hmm. 
and meet the regulatory requirements of the environment. I think that's great practice anyway. Generally, you're better <laughs> off over-informing than under-informing. I'd rather be accused of spamming somebody than not telling them something, exactly. especially in a large organization. And that experience of running towards a compliance team and saying, this has to be live in two weeks, say yes, please, yeah. uh, just, just doesn't go down well, especially not with personal liability. Yes. Righto, so a um, couple of questions to ask the chief experience officer that we ask a lot of people with C-suite titles because, uh, heck, there's a lot of things that uh, we want to learn and we want to make sure our listeners and, and let's face it, us, get some value out of, out of doing these interviews. So we ask all of our interviewees, first one, how do you maintain productivity without getting overwhelmed? Hopefully I do. Uh -huh. um, Especially you, when you're, you're kind flying of making, in from Colorado yeah, like this morning. Yeah, you're making an assumption there. Um, so I had the benefit of working with uh, an executive coach probably about 10 years ago. Um, a guy called Hugh Guyton back in Australia was fabulous. Um, frustrated the hell out of me at times, but he did exactly what I needed him to do. And one of the things he encouraged me to do was to um, break my work week down into four 20% chunks. So pick the top four things that I need to actually spend time on and dedicate 20% of my time to those um, things. So obviously 420s is 80, so that leaves 20% left over. And that's just for the stuff that's going to happen that you can't predict. So you just need to leave yourself a bus, a buffer and not get frustrated the, that you're doing it. So, you know, we were talking about what does what my job entail? It's that kind of thought leadership, working with the product development team, uh, working with existing customers and then working with um, new prospects, you know, strategic sales. That's kind of like the four blocks of 20% that consume my time. And then the other 20% is things like sitting on a plane for, for 10 hours from, uh, from Colorado to, to London. I'm sure if you were to build directly for all of that time, it would look very different. But uh, uh, how do you motivate a team? I think it's, I think the crucial thing for us has been hiring the right talent. Mm -hmm. Because when you do hire the right talent, they're actually fairly self-motivated. Um, I, so I gotta say, look at, look at the team right here. I got Michael, I got Laura, I got Simone. All right, Simone's on his phone, but he's doing work. I know he is. I'm a believer. <laughs> These guys he's taking notes. Yeah, yeah. This is such a valuable conversation. Um, but then, uh, like uh, when you're when you are part of the, the the leadership team in the organization, you often lose touch with you know what's actually happening at, at the grassroots level. So you know the, our entire leadership team just has an open door policy. People just walk in and talk to us, and that can be helpful in making sure that we can explain the bigger picture. So they might be grappling with a technical issue, or they might be grappling with hey we really want the customer to deploy into AWS, but they're saying they want to go cloud and we support that, but we know it's going to be better if they go AWS. We can kind of bring that conversation up a level and we can even support them and help them by making a call into the customer to say, hey, I believe you're grappling with this. So it's kind of letting them know that they've got a channel that if they do run into issues, escalate and let us either help you solve the problem or try and solve the problem for you so that you can kind of get back to doing what you need to do. It's, it's so important making sure people feel empowered to use the network you've got or your experience or your skills. Just there might be an answer you've got that somebody who's been in the company three months doesn't know, but we did that before and it worked with that exactly. other client. And exactly, or even in another region. You know, it may, not, it may not even be within that country. It could be in another region. So yeah, like, you know, we, we're really focused on hiring the right talent into the company and to a large extent, then it's a case of let them get on with their job. You've hired them for a reason. Don't tell them what to do. Like kind of let them do what they need to do and then support them when they run into challenges. Alrighty, last question. Um, I've got a couple more actually. What's the best career advice you've ever been given? Sounds cliched, but it's the, you've got two ears, one mouth, use them in that proportion. And 
I kind of translate that back to um, the, the team that I work with to say, look, you know what you know. So you're not going to learn, you're not going to benefit from telling people. They might benefit a little bit, but you know, you have to make sure that there's value, but you don't know what they know. So shut up and listen to them, you know, so that you can actually gain information, gain knowledge and understand, you know, what they're grappling with or what they have to offer. Like it's much that. more important to listen than it is to talk. That's, that's the ratio I'm, I'm feeling. <laughs> uh, so last but not least, where can people find out more about what you're up to and about the company as well? Um, really simply, like we channel everything through our website. So Avoca. You, which you, you, you're pronouncing perfectly now, uh, A-V-O-K-A. So time lucky. Yeah, A-V-O-K-A.com. Um, everything from uh, white papers, articles, uh, videos, Finnovate demos, it's all kind of accessible through there. Uh, links out to LinkedIn profiles of the management team, um, Twitter profiles, and so on. I really need to tweet more, but um, I just Don't <laughs> struggle all? to uh, find the time. Oh, it, it, I'm finding that websites that have the Twitter button on them where I could just click it from my mobile phone end yeah. up getting tweets more than anything. Otherwise, it's just too hard and the conversations <laughs> just don't happen. Uh, We're all busy. Derek, thank you so much for being with us on FinTech insider interviews uh, and thank you for listening watching uh, however you're uh, subscribing um, please do subscribe to our podcast um, subscribe to youtube get in touch with us and leave us a review on itunes we love reading those reviews uh, that's all for now